I brought something today. I hope you were here a few weeks ago when we talked about this. How many of you were here for the week we talked about I am the vine and how I brought the plant and all that good stuff? And remember, the, we, we talked about if you stay connected to the vine, there's growth and all that sort of thing. And look what I have. This is off that pepper plant. Isn't that exciting? There's another one about this size hanging and a new bloom coming out. I'm very excited. It looks like I thought we could do, I told somebody we should do communion. I like take a bite and pass it around. Pepper, pepper, uh, I don't know, that's probably not very sanitary. I'll go first. <laughs> no. But I thought that was pretty cool. You know, to, to, to get the plant and just a few weeks later have a real live pepper. That was neat. And, and uh, you know, sort of the idea of that passage and elsewhere in, in the uh, teachings of Jesus is that our lives should be fruitful and productive. And, and I think today as we focus on our graduates, or the one that's here anyway, and, and now I have that, that thing, like, as her dad, I don't want to preach at her. I got, you know, 365 days a year to do that. Um, so, so I'm going to try to make it applicable to all of us. But when I think about, you know, that vine and all, I think about productivity. I think about fruitfulness. And, and here's the point I want to make to, to Caroline or, and, and all of us. I believe that you have more potential than a pepper plant. Isn't that exciting? I worked hard on that. I thought long about that. You can be more productive than a pepper plant. In fact, just turn to somebody and tell them you're better than a pepper plant. Just let them know you're excited about that. Now I've got to figure out what, I'll just put that there. But, but you know, when we think about graduation and, and, and those sorts of things, that, that's really what we, we think about is the idea of potential. And, and I believe in, in, in Caroline's life and all of us that, that look toward the future, no matter what age we are, there is some remarkable potential in all of us. There is no telling what God can do in your life if you will trust Him to do it. There is no limit to what God might do in your life. I think as young adults grow up, maybe go to college and and begin to build uh, relationships that might lead to marriage, I think there is such incredible potential in a godly marriage of a husband and wife coming together and raising generations of godly children that will continue to be leaders not only in the, in the church and in the kingdom of God, but in their communities and, and spread the gospel, the word of God, wherever they go. I think that there are probably in, in your lives the potential for, for some incredible business deals, some incredible success that might could lead, even if we want to tie it back to funding mission efforts, you know, the things that that God might bring success in life could thereby affect and impact the the furtherance of the gospel wherever we go. I think there are probably uh, some of our godly young men and women that are are graduating and moving on the potential to write books or Bible studies that could impact untold numbers of people positively, pointing them to Christ. And not even those, but there might be some of that reality in all of our lives in here. But here's what I want to talk about today. There's probably one key ingredient that we can't leave out of that equation. There's one thing we need to remember beyond the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. And I want to jump into a, a verse that you're probably familiar with as our taking off point today, because I think it 
mentions or hints at that missing ingredient. And that's to truly accomplish all God has for us. We need to be surrounded by the right people. It's a verse in Matthew chapter 18 that if you've ever come to a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night at church when you have three or four or six or eight people in a circle praying, it is the verse I guarantee you has been spoken in those prayer meetings. And in Matthew 18, Jesus says this, Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You've heard that, right? That's the verse if you've been around church world at all, you've been in those settings, you've heard that verse. And that is a wonderful, powerful, incredible verse. You know, it's not just a verse that we use to kind of remind ourselves, oh, it's just the two of us, but God is here. No, I think there's more to it than that. In fact, if we were to look at the context of Matthew 18, you would find that the context of Matthew 18 is about what we'd call maybe church discipline, the idea of how to handle uh situations where you go to people individually and then take a few witnesses and then go to on a broader scale. And, and, and I think the reason this is in there is because God wants us to know there is a unique power and presence of His Spirit when people, believers, get together. It's being alone, yes. Is, is God there? Of course. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But the dynamic changes remarkably when we get together with other believers. In fact, I would suggest that you will probably never do all God has for you until you get the right people in your life. And and we see that idea throughout Scripture in the very beginning. In creation, there's Adam, and what does God say to him? It is not good for man to be right, because what if he loses his car keys? Or what if he doesn't know the way to get somewhere would he ever do? Too close? I don't know. No, it's not good for man to be alone, and so God made a helper suitable to him. A little bit later, the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, what does he say? Two are better than one. And he lists great reasons why two are better than one, that you can keep each other warm, you can help each other out, you can kind of defend each other. Uh, In in the Old Testament also, there's this passage that says, while one can put to flight a thousand, two can put to flight ten thousand. So the the benefit of that second, that other person, the power of community, we might say, isn't just adding on, it's exponential in its impact. Not twice as much, but ten times as much of a benefit. Scripture also has on the other side of that, when you have the wrong people, connected to you. It's problematic. What does it say? Uh, In in Corinthians, Paul says, bad company corrupts good morals. When you have the wrong people close in your life, they will pull you down rather than push you forward. And so I think that that verse reminds us and encourages us to make sure we have the right people around us. I want to look at a passage of Scripture that that really, I think, illustrates that, and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. 1 Samuel chapter 14, interesting passage, an interesting account of what's happening in uh, in the life of, of, in this case, Jonathan, uh, before he and, that's not about he and David, it's about he and his armor bearer. But but while you're turning there, I want want you to think about this idea of the right people in your life. I want you to think specifically in this way. I want you to think of the three 
most influential people in your life right now. The three closest relationships, the three people that have the greatest right to speak into your life, the three people that you've talked to the most that you have when you have issues, problems, and you want to celebrate something, the three people that are the ones that, that you turn to for advice, and, and just, just think about those. Because I would tell you, I would suggest to you this morning that those three people have a huge impact on determining the trajectory of your life. Huge impact. Think about them. Now let's say, and well, let's pick something. Let's pick marriage. That's always a good one. I like marriage. All in favor of marriage, say aye. Okay, just checking. Marriage. Guys, you got your guy friends. Let's say three people you thought of were three guy friends. And, and maybe, as it happens in any marriage, you and your spouse are kind of not getting along so great that day, or maybe it's been a few days, and you've got those guy friends. I would say if those three most influential voices in your life are the ones that when you go to and, and say, ah, oh, da, 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 and they start saying negative things about, you know, the old ball and chain and, and, and talking negatively about marriage and the relationship that you have with your wife, what's that going to do to your attitude towards your wife? It's going gonna, it's gonna to move you away from it, and that's going to have an impact. On the other hand, if, if those three people are like, hey, I know it's going through a rough patch, but, you know, let's talk about the things that, that helped you fall in love with your wife, and let's think about the good times. How's that going to do? It's going to help push you together. How about your work life? You have people that are dissatisfied with their jobs and always talking about how horrible it is and, and how bad this is. What's that going to do for your future? You're going to be thinking that way. That's going to seed your thinking. Those influential voices in your life are going to potentially poison you toward your own work environment and cause you to be maybe pulling away, giving less than 100%, resentful of those who are more successful. What's that going to do for your long-term trajectory in that job? Probably not good things. On the other hand, if you have those that, that see their job as not just, even though it's maybe not in quote church world, but my job is a ministry, and, and I love being here, I love the relationships I have, and and okay, so maybe I didn't get that promotion, but gosh, I support the person that does. What does that do for your potential in a business environment? It helps it. And we could go on and on and on and look at the, the thing, the areas of your life that are impacted by the people that are close to you. So I want you to, to, to think about that. Who are those three most influential people in your life? And then when we come to the idea of faith, the same thing. The three most influential voices in your life are casual Christians at best, maybe even non-Christians, people who don't pursue the things of God, people who pursue uh, all sorts of things, and, and that's what they're spending their time doing, and they're always inviting you to do, and, and they, they maybe don't hold to the fact that the Bible is trustworthy and you should try to live by it, but are always kind of downplaying it and calling it old-fashioned and out of date. How is that going to affect your attitude toward faith? As opposed to those three influential voices that are reminding you of some of the truths that God has showed and the, the faithfulness of God and the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and how they're trying to live for God. And even when it's hard, we're still moving that way. You see the difference those kind of influences can make. And we need to put the right people in our lives. And because what Jesus says, when two or more are gathered, I'm there with them. So when the right people get together for the right reasons, 
God says, I'm there, and I'm going to make sure the right things happen out of those relationships. And that's what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 14, a fascinating passage. We're not going to read every verse, but but what's happening here is uh, the Philistines are the bad guys. Aren't they always the bad guys? They're always beating up on Israel, kind of how it goes. And in this particular point in history, uh, Israel's hiding. The Philistines have sort of driven them into hiding. And and they're just daring Israel to, to do anything about it. Well, in that context, the king's son, Jonathan, has an idea. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 14, it says this, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father, which is odd because his father is who? The king who's hiding. And Jonathan's like, there's the Philistines on the outpost. Let's go. Whatever you do, don't tell dad. Now, now understand, Caroline, that's not the point of this message. Don't leave here going, he said don't tell dad. No, that's not it. Got that? Just write that down. You're good. Okay, you put it in your phone. Set a reminder, like 7 a.m. every day. Okay, never mind. But but he didn't tell his father. Now now I want if you look at the relationship between Jonathan and Saul, it's not the best. Saul, though he was chosen as king and anointed as king, really that was not God's plan. God says to the prophet. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. And so out of that, they choose a king, and they choose Saul. And if you read some of the reasons why they choose Saul, it's because he's, you know, kind of the tallest and the strongest and the handsomest, all that good stuff everybody wants in a king, right? And they choose him, and he's anointed, and he becomes king because the Israelites say, we want a king like everybody else. And they get it. Jonathan comes along, and there he and his dad are at odds. Certainly the whole thing with David is a problem. Saul uh, eventually has a very bad taste in his mouth toward David, even though David's quite the hero um, in Israel. And, and the kind of the chorus that gets him in trouble, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You know, you don't say that around the king. He has an issue there, I guess, and so that's what happens. And so... Saul doesn't like David. Jonathan and David become very close friends. And and so there's this bit of a tension between father and son, between King Saul and his son Jonathan. And really, I mean, we could delve long into issues between fathers and children and talk about how those things affect us for the rest of our life, and we see that here. And one of the things about family relationships, and as hard as this is to say, we don't get to choose them, right? We don't get to choose who our parents are. Jonathan didn't get to choose that Saul would be his parent. Jonathan didn't get to choose some of the things that that Saul did that affected him. But those first two words of this verse are, I think, hugely important. One day, Jonathan made a decision. See, things are going to happen to us in life that we have no control over. We didn't ask for them. We didn't seek them. They just sort of happened. And I think what we see maybe in that word, those two words, one day, is Jonathan making a choice. The choice between allowing the circumstances that he had no control over to control him 
versus doing something purposeful in spite of the circumstances he found himself in. And this is going to happen in relationships. When we talk about those most influential voices, there are going to be relationships that you will have that you have no control over. You didn't seek them out. You didn't try to cultivate them. They just happened. We're talking high school graduates going into college. There's that wonderful thing called your first roommate. Who remembers their first roommate? I bet I have a worse story than all of you. I also went to Palm Beach Atlantic where Caroline's going. And my first roommate was a drummer who brought his drums to school. He liked heavy metal music. Specifically, his favorite band to play along to was Iron Maiden. And one of the features, apparently, of Iron Maiden is their drummer has two big bass drums that he's pounding on the whole time. I don't, uh, Carlos might know this. He's our, our resident drumming expert. And, and, you know, to be sensitive, this is what my roommate did. He wore headphones while he was listening to the music, so it wouldn't disturb me, I guess. However, he did not put headphones on the drums. It was interesting. That was fun. Now, I didn't choose that relationship. I didn't seek it out. It just came in the mail. By the way, you're in this dorm, in this room, and this guy is who you're living with. Woohoo! Here we go, right? But I had a choice. At some point, to say, what is going to be the future of this relationship? Was there going to be a one day where I decided, not just because of his drumming and his choice in music, there were a lot of other things, that even though we were together, we had some values that weren't compatible, we didn't see things the same way, and I gravitated purposely toward other relationships that became more important in my life. And I think what we see here in verse 1 is Jonathan doing what all of us need to do. See, relationships can happen, but godly, productive relationships usually don't just happen. The best relationships you have take cultivation, take effort, take sacrifice, take investment. Maybe the most important relationship any of us will have at one point will be the marriage relationship. Can we all agree that takes effort? Do we have any any amens in the house? Can I get a witness? Sound like Pastor Pratt for a minute. Right? It takes, does it take sacrifice? A little bit. Does it take investment? That new outfit costs money. Yes, guys? No, that's not what it means. Right? Take something. Your relationship with your children, does that take effort? Sacrifice? All of those things. Relationships that will be productive and beneficial will take purposeful effort. And Jonathan, in this verse, it seems like he's making a choice. My father, who is king, maybe not acting very godly, very kingly-like in some of these situations. So I'm going to make a choice to cultivate, to pursue the right relationship with the right person so that God can be here and we can do the right thing in this situation. Skip down 
to verse 4. They decide they're going to go out. They're going to do something. They're going to go up toward the Philistines and see what they can they can accomplish in the midst of this. Verse 4, on each side of the pass, so Jonathan and his armor bearer are going to go to where the Philistines are. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sinah. Now, these are interesting words. They mean something, as most things in Scripture, most names in Scripture have a meaning. They're given a meaning for a purpose. These meanings have something to do probably with the physical things that have to do with the cliff. In this case, Bozes means slippery. And Sinah means thorny. So I'm sure as he's going through, on one side he has these very slick, chalky, slippery rocks. And on the other side, he has a a cliff that's very thorny, full of things. And those are representative for us of exactly what we face in life. We face both the slippery slope of temptation and the thorny obstacles of our spiritual enemy. If you're pursuing the things of God, both of those things will come up. Slippery slopes of temptation and thorny obstacles placed there by the enemy. You will have to overcome both of those. And the best way to overcome those things is by having someone beside you, that right person, for the right reasons, on the same path to accomplish the God task that he's given you. On your journey of faith, there will be times when you need somebody to tell you, hey, you're about to slip and fall. You're maybe yielding to temptation, and I want to call you back from it. Maybe it's an issue of just... I don't know, in a business world, maybe there's a possibility, there's a deal, there's a little bit of greed that slips in, and and you start skirting the the law at the very greatest, or certainly maybe some of the rules of the company to make sure you make that deal, to get that commission, to make that money. And you need somebody to look you in the eye and say, look, that's not right. You can't do that. That's a shortcut you shouldn't take. Come back over here. Let's do this the right way. You need that. Does it mean it might cost you the deal sometimes? Sure. Is it worth it? Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's pride. You just get so full of yourself and think you've got all the right answers that you begin to treat people badly. You begin to look down on others. You need somebody to look you in the eye and say, look, who do you think you are? I can't believe you treated that person that way. You need to go to them. You need to apologize. You need to make that right. It's going to cost you in your relationship with that person or in this business. Sometimes it's in, it's, in, it's in marriage. We've talked about these various things and, and, and begin to, to develop an attraction to someone that's not your spouse. And you need somebody to look you in the eye and say, stop it. What are you doing? You understand? You shouldn't do that. Don't message them on Facebook. Don't chat with them all the time. Don't text them. No, stop. What are you doing? You need those kind of people because there will be those slippery slopes. If you're trying to do something for God, Lots of temptation will come your way. And not only that, but the enemy, he's going to put up obstacles. He's going to want you to have to go through those thorns, and he's going to want them to stick deep and slow you down. And it is easier to see things when you have a second set of eyes with you. There are obstacles? Yes, absolutely. Do you need somebody to go with you through the obstacles? Absolutely. Sometimes you need somebody to give you advice. Hey, look, I don't know what to do here. I'm stuck. I can't go any further. You need somebody that that you trust to tell you, this is what I think you should do, to give you advice and counsel. You need somebody that that warns you 
when they see you rushing headlong into that obstacle and say, whoa, 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 back up, slow down. All of those things are important. We need the right people in our lives, and God uses the right people in our lives to help us avoid temptation and the obstacles of the enemy so we can make it through that pass and to the place God's directing us. And in those right people, we also see that that there's another huge thing that they can do for us, and it's found in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, or excuse me, verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, so as as they're moving through this pass, he says to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. By the way, isn't that a great, like, negative term to call people? I don't think in our day and time that should be like your go-to insult, you uncircumcised Philistine. But I just love that. I don't know why in Scripture that just seems like kind of one of those things where, ooh, that's mean. But there it is. Let's go up against these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, you see that word, what's the word? Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. You know, I can relate to those words of Jonathan. Especially that one word, perhaps. Oh, I can do the second part. Nothing can hinder the Lord. I can say that all day long. But when it's about me doing something, i got a lot of perhaps in there. I think I'm supposed to do this. I think God wants me to go this direction. I think this is the right move to make. I think this is the right relationship to pursue. I think this is the right uh, job to take. You know what's very helpful in those, I think, kind of moments? Perhaps maybe God is in it. Somebody else that shares your faith, that shares your values, and that's looking out for you. The right person in your life can tell you either, yes, absolutely, that is the right way to go. I agree. Let's move forward. Or no, I, this, maybe you didn't see it, but here are the things that I see that maybe you didn't notice that you should consider. It's pretty important to have that kind of input, that second set of eyes, that second opinion. You can count on it. A few weeks ago, we had everybody's favorite activity at church. We had a business meeting. Don't you? You know, it was the business meeting. I want to say, I think it was the most well-attended business meeting we've had in a long, long time. And that was a good thing. That was a wonderful thing. You know why we have business meetings in the Baptist church? Because of this sort of thing. Church is church, church world, and church polity. But one of the hallmarks of Baptist faith is the bedrock belief in the priesthood of all believers. Which means I don't hold a special standing before God that's somehow greater than anybody else in this church. Because I'm professional clergy or pastor or whatever, I am no closer or no better to God than anybody else. I don't hear more clearly from God than anybody else. In fact, the, the greatest thing i got to worry about is I'm going to fall under a harsher judgment than anybody else. So that's that. But as far as somehow I'm, you know, more spiritual, no. We are all before God, saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and all equal. And so how we work in our church is we have committees and boards that meet and people talk and look at situations and look at decisions and say, this is kind of, here's what I think, and you've got four or five people in that room that say, well, here's our perspective, and when those come together and we say, yes, we think this is a move that we should make, we take it to the church, because those four or five 
are good opinions, but when we get 30 or 40 opinions in a business meeting, now we have several people, several more sets of eyes looking at the same situation, seeking the same God, and when God begins to unite all of those ways of thinking and looking at the situation, the decision together, it is a step of confirmation that we have that God is moving us to this direction. So, believe it or not, it's not just because we're in America and we vote on everything. There's real life spiritual reasons that we need things like committees and business meetings because we all have the need for those other perspectives. The people that see things differently than we do point out things that we don't see and say to us when we say perhaps to say yes. And that's what does Jonathan's armor bearer say in verse 7? He says this, Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. That's the kind of people you need in your life. People that say, I am with you, heart and soul. Sometimes it's go ahead, do all you have in mind, and sometimes it's whoa there, Nellie. But either way, you want that last phrase. You want people that are with you, heart and soul. People that say, I'm in this with you. I I care about you. I will be beside you. I have your back. However we want to put it, it means the same thing. Whatever you face in life, know that I'm going to go in there with you. Go through those slippery slopes, those thorny obstacles. Face the Philistines. Whatever comes, I'm here, and you don't have to do this alone. And that's why it's so important that you don't just let relationships happen. You make that one-day decision. Today I'm going to be purposeful about the people I invite into my life. I'm going to make sure those two or three or four or five people that I give the the access to my life to speak into and I trust have the same values, have the same faith I do, so that when I get that input, I can count on it. And I know they're with me, heart and soul, and we can go forward and live out our faith and live out our calling in a way that is important. You know, this isn't just like I got 5,000 Facebook friends or 200 people follow me on Twitter. You know what they got, don't you? I mean, we're getting to young adults. They live there. Actually, they don't. I told you this before. They don't live on Facebook anymore. That's for us. Oh, I almost said that. That's for us more seasoned citizens. All, all the, the young, younger generation have moved on to other social media outlets. Lots of those have little things where they can block their parents from following them. In fact, at graduation yesterday, somebody said, you know, some of us even have Instagram accounts that you can follow. You aren't blocked. And I thought that was pretty honest of that that graduate to admit in public that a lot of them kind of leave access off. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, you want people that see your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, your Snapchat, and have the right to say, well, that was stupid. What are you doing? Why did you put that out there? What are you thinking? You need that. You need people with you, heart and soul. When you've got something coming up, do you want to pray for a miracle all by yourself? I don't. I want to pray with people that say, I'm with you, heart and soul. And I'm hurting because you're hurting. And I'm, I'm begging God with you that he will act in this situation on your behalf for good. We need that. We need that kind of connection with people. We need 
like Jonathan had, this armor bearer. We need somebody when we're afraid. Look, perhaps, maybe, I don't know, but honestly, I'm just scared to take that step. We need people to say, I'm with you heart and soul. Take that step and I'll be there right beside you. We need all of those sorts of qualities around us because when the right people are in our lives and God comes in, he'll help us do the right thing in the right way for the right reason. We had last year, one of the highlights, I've been here 16 years, one of the highlights of my 16 years was our 50th anniversary celebration. Had a great time. I don't know if you did. I had fun. Um, And when it first kind of started percolating and started thinking about talking about it, I began to tell some people. And and I was like, you know, at some point I thought, this is crazy. Why are we going to do like three days and do this? This is just nuts. Just have a service like every other church and do it on Sunday and do a few things. But then people got involved. And then it got bigger. We don't just need to do like a service on Sunday or even a Saturday thing or even a Friday night thing. We need to remodel the entire church building while we're at it. We need to replant the entire outside of the building to beautify. We need to paint. We need to do and And as people got together, there was something about the momentum of that. And there was confirmation, all that we've been talking about. People said, yeah, that's a good idea. And this is what we can do. And then another person comes along, another person. And then we, we have just dozens of people coming out on Saturday, spending their Saturday, spending their Tuesday, spending their Wednesday night, spending their Thursday afternoons doing stuff, getting ready for this event. And there was a sense of unity and a sense of we're in this together. And what might God do through this weekend? And it was a wonderful time of celebrating the history of our church and all God has done. And that's what the picture I have most recently of my mind of what's going on here. That heart and soul relationship, that person or those people, those three to five people that have the most influence in your life that will look and be honest and live alongside you. I think of the Old Testament example of Moses when the Israelites are going into battle. You might remember this story. Uh, Moses sits on the hill, and the, the, the account goes, as long as his ha- arms are up, he's got his hands raised, the Israelites are winning. But have you ever tried to just hold your arms up for a while? It's hard. You know, with nothing in them even. It's hard, but, but after a while, they sort of sag, and that's what happened to Moses. And as he got tired and he put his arms down, well, the Israelites start losing. So what happens? Aaron and her come alongside Moses, and they physically hold his arms up so that the Israelites would prevail in that battle. Who do you have that are your Aaron and her? Who do you have the people that will come alongside you and hold your arms up? Because you will get tired. It is not easy to live out this idea that God has for you. Who do you have that, that will be for not only you, but for God's glory and purposes in your life? that will hold you up and support you whenever the opportunity comes. We need those kind of people. Jonathan found that in his armor bear. A little bit later, here, here's the great part of what happens in verse 22. We see this, First uh, Samuel 14, verse 22, Scripture says this, When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, what did they do? They joined the battle. It's a fascinating story. Jonathan and his armor bearer get there, and they, they kind of make an idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to show ourselves to the Philistines. And if they say, stay down there, we know we're not supposed to attack. But if they say, come on up here, we know God is with us, and he's going to give us victory. Guess what they said? Come on 
on up here, boys. Let's teach you a lesson, you little whippersnappers. That's like not exactly right out of the Hebrew, but that's the idea. Kind of mock them, these two outnumbered. And it says they went on up the hill. They looked at each other and said, let's go. They go up the hill, and Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, in this half-acre field rout the Philistines. Not only that, but it says God sends over the Philistines this kind of spirit of confusion where, where they panic and, and, and start to run. And at that point, when the battle seems to be going in their favor, we get to verse 22. So now there's the king, and there he is with, with all his people. He says, hey, go look. See who's missing. Oh, it's your boy. Oh, boy, interesting. Well, let's look. What's happening? And then all the Israelites are hiding until the Philistines are running away. And then what do they say? Charge! right? There's always that. And here's the thing that you need to know. There are friends that will be like that. Kind of the when things are going well, they're charging right behind you. Glad they're finally getting on board. But you need the friends like the armor bearer first. You need the heart and soul. You need the Aaron and the her so that God can start something that might pull in its wake a few more to see what he's on. So the Lord, it says, rescued Israel that day. And the battle moved on. The Lord rescued Israel. Why? Because two people, just two, not because of hundreds, not because of an army, not because of the might of Israel, not because they were better and had better equipment and were better equipped. No, they're hiding. They're cowering in fear. Until one day, Jonathan said, let's go. And he had that right relationship person alongside him, with him heart and soul, that God used to start what was the deliverance of Israel. Now, I don't know what it is that God wants to do in your life. I can say again, the potential is incredible. Whether high school graduate going into college, whether a young adult uncertain about the next step, whether maybe newlywed or or young couple looking to the future. Maybe an older couple that kids have moved out of the house and you're wondering what next with the empty nest. Maybe even a retired individual that says, well, I guess my usefulness is over. I'm done doing anything. No, 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 no. Your potential for God is huge. But it amounts to getting the right people in your life. Having the right relationships. Because what did he say? Wherever two are gathered in my name. What does Jesus say? There I am. That's where I am. I'm in the midst of them. I hope that as we've talked today and as we've looked at things, you've thought of those two people. And I hope you'll, if you look at those two people and you say, you know, those aren't the right people, those aren't the right influences, those aren't the right voices, but I've given the right to speak into my life. Maybe you'll make a one-day decision like Jonathan. Maybe today is that day where you say, you know, today is my one day. I'm going to choose to cultivate the right relationships. Because I want to see what God might do. Even incredibly miraculously, like he did with Jonathan and his armor bearer. If I will trust him. And follow him. And find that heart and soul person to go with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example of Jonathan. Thank you for his faith, his courage to step out against the Philistines. 
to defy the odds when he and his armor bearer were willing to expose themselves, to show themselves to an army. And I thank you that those small steps of faith open the floodgates of your work among them. Lord, I think that's the same place we find ourselves today, that it's it's those first small steps of faith that might open the floodgates of your work among us, in our lives for what you might have for us, in our church, in our community, even in our world. Lord, we, we need to see you at work. Our world needs more of your grace and your love and your power and your glory. And may you use us as your people in those ways. Father, help us to to find those relationships, those heart and soul folk that you can bless and use for your glory and for your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name.